Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I don't know uh, what fears you have. I don't know if any of you, anyone here afraid of spiders? Some of you, anyone afraid of snakes in the Adelaide Hills? Some of you have just moved to the Adelaide Hills and it's like the worst thing ever seeing a snake. Uh, human beings have all sorts of fears that, that we wrestle with every day. Some that we, we freely admit to and others that we, we don't freely admit to, but we all have fears. And there's a running joke in my family that I'm afraid of swings. Uh, I'm not afraid of swings. I just get sick from being on swings because I suffer from motion sickness, okay? So my kids will just be like, oh, dad's scared. He doesn't want to go on the swing. I'm like, I'm not scared. I just get ill. And I don't want to feel ill right now. Anyway, it's an ongoing thing. But, but I do have one particular fear. And I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but I, I really strongly dislike small, dark spaces. Anybody here? This idea of being stuck in a small, dark space. And I, don't, I haven't shared this story very often, but I think where it comes from is when I was real, I must have been like four or five years old, we had a sleepover at some family friends, all the shepherd children, there's five of us had the sleepover uh, at this family's house. And I uh, was in my friend's room and went to bed in this big room, uh, happily just fell asleep. But being a reasonably active sleeper, at some point in the night, I must have sort of rolled my way off of my little mattress under his bed, right? And his older brothers, thinking it would be funny, spent a a good amount of time then getting like toy boxes and pillows and things and just like packing me in under the bed, right? While I was asleep. And so there was like, totally blacked out. They thought it was really funny. They went off to sleep thinking when Dave wakes up, he'll just be like, oh, I'm under the bed and try and push his way out. But the problem was sometime very early in the morning, in the hours, I woke up and as a young child, I slept with the door slightly open, as some of your children might do, uh, to let a little bit of light in. And I remember opening my eyes uh, in this moment and just thinking, man, this room is dark. Like this is really, really dark. But in my mind, in the pitch black, there's something about when you're completely in the dark that there's like this void, right? Where you don't, you're not aware of your surrounds. So in my mind, in the darkness, I'm still in the large room that I fell asleep in, yeah? And I'm just thinking, man, this, there's something about this room which is so dark, but you know, I'm in the room. And then I remember trying to move and roll over and having this moment into, oh, I get goosebumps even thinking about it. (laughs) Having this moment where I suddenly realised I'm not where I thought I was. You know, the darkness had deceived me. I was sort of in this moment just assuming that I was in the broad, big, open room that I fell asleep in, but actually I was trapped and I couldn't move that way because my shoulder would hit something and I tried to move my leg and that hit something and I tried to move my hand and that hit something. And I was trying to compose myself, <laughs> trying to compose myself and then I just lost it, right? I was like, I'm trapped. I'm totally trapped in this darkness and I don't know what to do. So what every five-year-old does, I just screamed. 
and I yelled and I screamed and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried a little bit more until this moment in time, which I'll never, ever forget, where this little ray of light, after hearing noise, this little ray of light just popped in. And with that little ray of light came a revelation of where I was. That I wasn't in the room that I fell asleep in, but I was trapped under a bed. But not only did the little ray of light bring sight and some clarity, but it also came with a hand, the hand of my friend's father, who grabbed me by the arm and dragged me out and brought me into the freedom of open spaces. You know, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, anyone read it? You've got to read more C.S. Lewis, church. In, the, in his book, The Great Divorce, he tells the story of, of, it's a fictional account of heaven and hell. And he paints hell, he paints this, uh, this idea of the absence of God, this main character, as this dark, grey, vast city. And the guy is sitting, the main character is in the dark grey vast city looking around thinking, what is this? But over the course of the book, he gradually gets drawn from darkness to light. And C.S. Lewis so profound in this moment, what he does is he explains this drawing out. The the main character begins to realise what he thought was a large, open, free space, this dark grey city. He begins to realise as he approaches the light that the city becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And he has this revelation that the darkness actually isn't this big free space, but rather it is this tiny, restricting, suffocating space. And he says, there's this great quote, he says, it is nearly, the darkness is nearly nothing. It is smaller than a pebble in the human world. I just think he paints this incredible picture, a bit like that, the reality that I experienced, not a literal hell, but this reality I experienced under the bed that sometimes darkness can deceive us, yeah? It can deceive us into thinking we've got space, deceive us into thinking that we're free, that this is good, that this is okay. But as we become more acutely aware of the light, we become more acutely aware of how suffocating and restricting and imprisoning the darkness truly is. And this is the point that C.S. Lewis is making, but it's actually not just C.S. Lewis who makes this point. It is all through Scripture All he's doing is drawing on scriptural metaphors, this incredible picture all through the scripture that that portrays light as truth and freedom and portrays darkness as deception and imprisonment. And the more you read scripture, the more you see this. You see it even in Genesis 1, yeah? Like when God created, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and it talks about how the earth was void and it was formless and it was empty and there was darkness. And then what does God do to this empty, formless, lifeless darkness? He says that He speaks and He says, let there be light. And then once light entered in, once truth came from the mouth of God, all of a sudden there was a canvas on which He could paint the rest of creation. You see this picture in Exodus as as Israel had been enslaved in Egypt, right? And you listen to them talk and there's so many times where the Israelites are like, oh no, it's not too bad in Egypt. 
It's not that bad. It's okay. You know, so many times they get out like, oh, just we want to go back to Egypt where we had a good Keith Green wrote a good song about that. Want to go back to Egypt. It's like they want to go back to their darkness. But there's this picture as they come out of Egypt that God actually leads them how? By a pillar of fire, by light. It's like as we follow the light, we go from darkness and slavery and we enter into freedom. The promise of God, that light is truth and truth is freedom and darkness is deceit and deceit is despair. It's this crazy picture all through Scripture. You see it in the Psalms, you see it in the prophets. It's amazing. But I think all of those things, all those Old Testament pictures are all building towards this powerful crescendo type moment, right? And this crescendo type moment is precisely what we land at in John 8, where Jesus standing there as the Word, He says that I am the Word. He's talked about how I am the bread of life. Like He's like, I am, I am. He's declaring that He is God. And in this moment, He, he speaks to this metaphor that the Jewish people understood so well. And He stands at the festival of tabernacles And he declares, I am the light of the world. Now, if you just read John 8, you miss it. You miss it. If you don't understand the festival of tabernacles, you've missed this whole thing. You've missed what Jesus is doing. So as good Bible scholars, let's do that right now. Let's get some perspective. Amen. Come on, someone. Leviticus. All of you get excited when I say the word Leviticus, I know. You're like, yes. Leviticus 23 we're going to read from verse 33 is God is establishing worship for His people. And in verse 33 of chapter 23, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles, everyone say tabernacles, begins. And it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord. And on the eighth day, everyone say eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. What is the Festival of Tabernacles? The Festival of Tabernacles was something God instituted for Israel that occurs at the autumn equinox. What does that mean, Dave? That is where the the length of the day is exactly the same as the length of the night. So you've got equal day night and it happens just before the days get shorter and the night gets longer. It also represents the season in time where the dry barren season, the summer drought ends in Jerusalem and the winter rains begin to come. And so the Lord institutes this moment in time for His people and He says, I want you to do this every single year and let it serve as a reminder to you of your desert wanderings. Let it serve as a reminder to you that I am the one who brought you from slavery into freedom, that I am the one who gave water for you, water to you when you were dying of thirst in the desert. I am the one who who guided you with light by night and by the pillar of cloud by day. This is who I am. And as you do this regularly, you will remind yourselves that I am the one who brings the rain, the one who provides the harvest, the one who ends the season of drought, the one who guides you to freedom and fullness of life. So every year the Jewish people would have this great 
festival. And what the festival incorporated on the eighth day, the great day, the special day was two special ceremonies, right? Now, the first special ceremony was a water pouring ceremony. And what would happen, it would be nighttime and the people would come with this massive bowl. They would go to the pool of Siloam and they would fill the bowl with water and then thousands upon thousands of people in procession with torches, not battery operated torches, but fire on a stick, I imagine. Walking along, singing, dancing, praising, celebrating. Like this is a party, right? They're like, just picture it. Just close your eyes and picture it. It's night. There's, there's fire everywhere. There's people singing and dancing at the front of these people with this ginormous bowl of water and they'll take it to the presence of God and they would pour the water out in the presence of God as a way of offering this, this sacrifice to God saying, yes, you are the one who sustains us in dry seasons. And there was a second ceremony, which was a lighting ceremony. And they would have 16 massive bowls of oil with a cloth wick. And they would light these, these lamps, 16 huge Lamps, And you just like, just picture this. Again, we don't have the ambient lights of the city in this moment. This is camping Flinders Ranges, pitch black. Stars in the sky, people dancing, sweat probably everywhere. They're singing, everyone's got their torches. And then there's these massive burning lamps all around the tabernacle. As a reminder that God is the one who lights the way. That God is the one who brings order out of chaos. That God is the one who brings freedom from slavery. That light is truth. And if you look to God, you will walk in the truth and the truth will set you free. But that the darkness is deception. And if you desire the darkness, you will find yourself like a young child enclosed and captured under a bed, not knowing where to go, what to do, and just terrified. This was the festival of tabernacles. And it only became greater over time. And once the temple was built, picture it, picture it, guys. Massive limestone building. Yeah? Still no street lights. Massive limestone building. Huge lamps. And it's literally lighting up the temple. So it's like this whole city is black and there's all these people dancing. And what is the one thing you can see? Come on, someone. The light illuminating the temple. What was the temple? The symbol of God's presence with His people. And so what it's saying is, hey, here's the one we've got to look to. Here's the one who created. This is our Genesis 1 God. This is the one who spoke and light filled the darkness. This is the one who set us free from Egypt. This is the one who loves us and has chosen us and has called us by name. This is the one that we look to in the midst of the darkness to find that freedom. And so there's Jesus on the Feast of Tabernacles standing in the temple courts, the courts of women, standing there right in the middle of this whole scene. The light is all around him. Everyone's looking at the temple and Jesus is like, now's the moment. Now's the moment. And to properly grasp it, you have to understand that this passage doesn't actually begin in John chapter 8. It actually begins in John chapter 7, verse 37. And it's a long discourse 
But in John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival of tabernacles, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You get that symbolism? They've just seen the water poured out and Jesus is like, that's me. What you just poured out, it's a symbol. It's a symbol that you've celebrated for thousands of years for this moment. That you would know that as I stood here, that I am the one, I am the one who will bring living water, who will pour out my spirit, will refresh humanity. I'm that guy. (laughs) This is mind bogglingly. Like this is ridiculous. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within. And then it just goes on and it's this long, complicated conversation. And then in verse 12, in the same scene, after having declared that I'm the the water, the one, the bowl that was just poured out. And then he looks around, he looks around at these massive lamps lighting up the temple. And he's like, oh, and by the way, I'm the light of the world. You know, all that stuff that you've just done, right here. I'm the guy who's fulfilled all of this. I'm the one who lights the way. I'm the one who will lead you to the presence. In fact, I am the very presence of God because as it says in the scriptures that God is light. Jesus is making a, an incredible statement that is rich and raw with imagery. And when I had planned this message, I thought we would be inside and we were going to black the whole gym out. And I was going to be preaching this in the pitch black. And then a spotlight was going to come on right at that moment. It was going to be like, boom. (laughs) But God wanted us to do this instead. So you're just going to have to go with your mind's eye in that imagery. But it's powerful, right? And then it carries on. And for the rest of it, it's like this weird debate where they're questioning whether or not Jesus has authority and who justifies him and where he comes from. And there's this whole back and forth, which is really amazing and rich and deep, but also very confusing and easily to get lost in, right? And then there's this weird thing that happens actually right in the middle of this conversation. Because the conversation that starts in Luke 7, 37 and finishes at the end of chapter 8, is it's like a movie, right? And you know how you can have a scene in a movie and then right in the middle of a scene, it'll just stop and it'll take you to a different scene and then it will bring you back to the scene you were in before. And the reason it goes to the different scene is because that scene has some important information to help understand this scene. Is anybody with me? Does anyone watch movies here? And this is what happens here because in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11 we hear this totally random story of a woman caught in adultery that is at a different time and place that doesn't belong in the discourse, so we think. It's just this strange interjection. And many scholars will say that they don't include this because it doesn't belong there. But I actually think it does belong there. And I think the reason it belongs there is because the author knows what he's doing. And he knows that John 7, 37 through the end of John chapter 8 is like difficult. 
And he goes, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to simplify it for you. I'm going to give you a story which unpacks the fullness of everything that you've just read. I'm going to do it right in the middle, not the end, so it stands out to you. So you understand what you've read and what you're about to read and bam, here's this story. So with that in mind, let's read John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, He appeared again in the temple courts. Remember the previous scene's nighttime where all the people gathered around Him and He sat down to teach. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say, Mr. Light of the World? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Wouldn't you love to know what he wrote? When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. One at a time. The older ones first. Why? Probably because the older ones have more experience of their own shortcomings and probably a bit more ready to admit they're not perfect. Come on, somebody. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is, this is so crazy. Why interject this story here? Why change scene? I think the answer to that question is found in the fact that this is a story about humanity, about darkness and about light. It's a story about humanity and how we respond to darkness, about the darkness that exists and longs to deceive us and draw us in and about the light which comes to set us free. And I want to suggest to you guys this morning that actually all people are represented in this story. Every single person, every human being who's ever lived is, is held in the breadth and depth of this story. And I'm going to try and put them into five categories. And the first one is this. There are those people who exist who are ignorant to the light and who are content in their darkness. Number one, are people who are ignorant to the light and content in their darkness. Who are these people in this story? They're the people who aren't there. You know, sometimes we look at stuff and we're like, oh, they're, they're not, we don't realise that the breath actually has something to do with those who aren't there. Jesus is teaching. This is temple worship. This is a powerful moment. And yet there's probably a whole bunch of people from that nation who couldn't be bothered coming and seeing Jesus. 
They're just content in their very life. They're just going about their thing. They're totally fine with the status quo. And here's the point is that Jesus is the light of the world. And if you're not with Jesus, you're in the darkness. But the thing is, there are those people actually just completely ignorant of the light that exists in our world and really don't care because they're comfortable in that dark grey city. They're comfortable in the void. Then they wake up under the bed, they look around, they go, oh, I've got heaps of space. I'm okay. And I just close my eyes and go back to sleep. There's no yearning for the light. And there are there those people in the world who are ignorant to the light and content in their darkness. They're like, well, this is all there is. And this passage has something powerful to say about that is that no, no, because if even if you're content in darkness, darkness leads to slavery and ultimately slavery leads to death. And so while you might be content in your darkness, there is a light that has come to set you free that needs to be revealed to you that you might know your situation. Like that light that entered under the bed that I'm like, oh, I know where I am. I know my condition. I understand the state that I am in. The second type of people that are represented here are those searching for the light, but blinded by the darkness. Have a look as it begins. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach him. There's a whole bunch of people that are sitting, listening to Jesus and there's something about their hearts that are strangely warmed to listening to this guy. There's something about them like, man, there's something in this. I'm looking for something I'm looking for for whatever this is, but I just can't see it because the darkness is blinding me. Paul talks about this regularly, that, that there's this blinding which happens. You know, it happened to him that when the light appeared, he was blinded for a few days until the scales fell off and he could see. The Bible says that eternity is set in the hearts of humanity, that there is something on the heart of humanity that is that knows there's gotta be more to this. You know, tomorrow's Super Bowl weekend. Anyone an NFL fan here? One or two of you. Super Bowl's like, it, it, NFL's the biggest sport in America. Great sport. And the most famous, probably the most famous NFL player is a guy called Tom Brady who just retired. And he played till he was like 44, which is crazy. And he's won seven Super Bowls. But when he had won three, right, he's dating a, he was dating a supermodel, married to a supermodel, had a Child had millions and millions of dollars, good looking unit. He's won MVPs, he's won Super Bowls. He's like got everything. Like you think you've got it made, he hasn't made more, right? He's got everything anyone could ever want. And he was interviewed after his third Super Bowl. And he said, he goes, I cannot believe that this is all there is. There has to be more than this. And he's searching and he's looking and he just kept on playing and playing and playing. And I haven't heard a recent interview, but I wonder if that, it's like he's searching for the light, but he's blinded by the darkness. There's all this stuff that I've got and it's great and it's awesome, but there's something in him going, no, there's gotta be more. And we see that with these people, there's got to be more. And so they find themselves at Jesus' feet. And then there's a third, those fearful of the light, hiding in the darkness. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Caught means that they waited for her and caught her in the act. Interestingly, it doesn't talk about the bloke. But he's to blame too. (laughs) 
but it focuses on the woman. Maybe because the woman represents the bride and the bride represents the church. And she's caught in adultery, which means red-handed, in the act. And then she's dragged before the people and you get this picture that she's probably still in her nakedness and she's probably bloodied and bruised from being dragged along the dirt and the gravel and she's probably all muddy from her tears, hitting the dirt and rubbing her. Like she's would be an absolute mess. And you get this picture that she has just, knowing that she's living this life that is contrary to the will of God, but it's almost as if she's hiding in that darkness. There was no repentance. There was no realisation, man, I've got to confess this. I've got to change my way. She was caught. I think one of the most dangerous things we can do, especially in the church, is we listen to the darkness, whisper in our ear and say, don't you dare tell anyone about that. That's a shameful thing that you're doing. What will they say about you? What will they think about you? What will they do to you? You're filthy. You don't belong. Disgusting. And it's almost as if we know that that thing has to go, but we're so terrified of the light and what the consequences will bring that we hide in the darkness. And the promise of Scripture is basically three things are going to happen. Either the light becomes so intense that you get a conviction of the Spirit and you confess. Either the light will expose you as this woman being caught and out it comes. Or you stay in the darkness and ultimately the cords of death and destruction get hold of you. And the interesting thing in this woman's life is being caught is actually God's mercy. Yeah? She stayed in that lifestyle, what happens to her? But she gets caught and she gets dragged to the feet of the light of the world. And as she's lying there in the fetal position, probably waiting for that first stone to crash into her head, she hears the voice of light speak. And as the light speaks with all these angry voices, probably just affirming the voices she had felt in that darkness for so long, this is what's going to happen to you. You can't confess this. You can't come out with this. You can't tell anyone about this. This is going to be your lot. And they're all shouting and accusing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jesus just sits down and starts to write on the ground. And you get the impression because she was at his feet that just maybe she's the only one who could see what he wrote. And just maybe there's a reason we don't know what he wrote because it was just for her. It was just for her. And then Jesus speaks to the fourth group of people. The fourth group of people, those who are walk, working for the light but are oblivious to their own darkness. Those who are working for the light, but oblivious to their own darkness. The religious folk, 
who think they can earn their way into salvation. Yeah? And he speaks to all these Pharisees, these church leaders, you know, the bigwigs who have done their study, they've got their PhDs and their degrees and they know everything there is to know. And he's like, hey, you guys think that you're righteous? You think you're holy? Hey, let one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. And I love this because in this moment, what happens? The light of the world exposes the depravity of their own souls, doesn't he? And one by one, these righteous, self-righteous, religious folk, one by one, the light illuminates in them their own secrets and they just go, thud, thud, thud. And they all walk away. Just because we're working for the light, just because you go to church, just because you think you've got everything together doesn't mean that there's not stuff going on here. Doesn't mean that you don't need a saviour. Doesn't mean that you don't need to come to the light of the world. You can't earn your salvation. There's nothing in you that is innately good. It is only Him who is light. And this is the revelation of this passage. And friend, I gotta show you something. I gotta show you, I gotta show you one thing. We're gonna just segue for a second. Look at John, like, let's go to the discourse in John 8. This is crazy. John 8 from 31, which is part of the conversation that this story is speaking to. Listen to this. The Jews who had believed Him. So these are the people who are like believing Jesus is the light. The Jews who had believed Him said, uh, believed Him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen to this, listen to this. They answered Him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Hang on. They're at the Festival of Tabernacles. What are they celebrating? Freedom from slavery. 400 years, 400 years in Egypt. They are currently living under Roman oppression. They have literally been enslaved most of their lives. And yet they live completely oblivious to that fact. They're like, well, we're children of Abraham. I'm a self-righteous dot, dot, dot. How could God, like, how can you possibly say that I'm not free? Jesus, like the reason that's in there is we're supposed to read it and laugh. We're supposed to go, ha, <laughs> How stupid are they? And yet when, it's a, when it is applied to us, we're exactly the same. Self-righteous, we think, oh no, I've got it covered. This doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. You are dead in your transgressions apart from Christ. You are dead to sin. That's what Jesus is saying, this whole conversation. It is only in Christ that you can have the darkness split by the light of God. And that light is the only thing that will set you free. That is what the message is. And so may we not be like those Pharisees standing there, stones ready to throw at this person because the reality is, is we probably deserve to have stones thrown at us. And Jesus says, no, there's a fifth type of person who I need you to see. And that's those walking in the light, free from the darkness. 
Because watch what happens to the woman. Watch what happens to the woman. They start to walk away. Jesus straightened up. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Watch what Jesus says. This is what the light says. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. What he's saying is now go and live in the light. Yeah, you've been, you've been exposed. Now guess what? There's a whole lot of consequences that are gonna come your way. I'm not saying that consequences aren't there. What I am saying is that there's no condemnation. And there's a difference between consequence and condemnation. You can walk in the consequences of sin, but walk in the freedom of righteousness and grace. And Jesus has come, the light of the world has come, that the people of God, those who have seen a great light, would follow Him, would walk after Him, and in so doing, walk in the light. And as we walk in the light, the message of the Gospel is as we walk in the light, we become a light because the Spirit of God indwells the people of God so that we can go to those who are ignorant of the darkness so that we can go to those who are afraid of the light and hiding in darkness so that we can go to those who are seeking truth. We can be the light. We can say, brothers and sisters, let me show you. There He is. This is who He is. He's standing right there. Look at Him. We sung it. Look at Him. Look at Him. He's the answer. He's the one and we can be that beacon of light. That is why He says, walk as children of light as you are in the light. I want to sing. I think it's DC Talk. I want to be in the light. Anybody? As you are in the light. Brian loves it. It's probably on his morning playlist. That's the invitation. That's the invitation to this woman. It doesn't matter what you've been through, what you've done, what mistakes you have made, how far you have fallen, how shameful this moment is. And it is a shameful moment for her lying naked on the ground in front of all of Jerusalem. And yet at the hands of the Saviour, she finds mercy because His light breaks into her darkness, but it's not just light. It's a hand that comes and grabs her by the arm and pulls her out which is why Jesus says you would know the truth, which is Him and the truth will set you free. Band, you can come up, we're gonna close. But on your chair this morning as you got here, you got a little tea light candle. I want you to hold that in your hands for a second. And because of fire bands, it's windy and it's hot, we're not allowed to light them. <laughs> Just pretend. <laughs> Just picture that glowing. Hold it in your hand. Picture that just for a moment. And there's one simple question. What will you do with the light? The reason John 8, 1 to 11 is in the Scripture is because John wants us to understand that this woman is every woman. This woman is every man. It's all of us trapped in darkness. Now, the fact that you're here would suggest that you're probably not ignorant to it unless someone invited you for coffee and tricked you and you found yourself here this morning. Welcome, we love you. 
praying God's just smashing you right now. <laughs> By His mercy and His grace, opening your eyes to truth. Oh, Lord, let it be so. But I really do feel on my heart that there are many who are searching for the light and you're here because you kind of like, man, there's got to be more to this and maybe this Jesus has something to offer. But you feel like there's a distance between you and God. There's a distance between you and the light. And I just feel today that as you look at that little candle, that the Lord would come and speak to you and say, I am the light of the world. The invitation is to come follow me. My good friend, Pastor Danny Guglamucci, has a saying that I love. He says, discipleship is not a is not a destination, it's a direction. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. You don't arrive at a beautiful, wonderful disciple. No, if you get to that point, then you're a Pharisee. It's an invitation to a direction, to a following, to let the dust of His feet flick up onto the hem of our pants, to follow Him in all our imperfections, but it's a walking in the light. And I just feel like maybe there's many here, there's stuff and you feel trapped. And there's that constant word in your ear saying, don't tell anybody, don't admit that, or don't do that, you can't say that, what will they think? I believe with all my heart that the Lord wants to break that off you right now. Confession is a good thing. And I'm not saying you have to stand up here and confess it to everybody. I'm a big believer that in discipleship, there's the car, there's the bus, and there's the crowd. What do I mean by that? There's a car. How many people can you fit in your car? Three or four. Three or four people that you're called to journey really closely with, no holds barred, Everything's open. I got a friend, he says, when we meet, what are the 10 questions that you don't want anyone to ask? And I'm gonna ask them. We all need those people. And then you need the bus, 12 people. You know, the broader group who you're close with, who you share stuff with, but not as intimately as the three. And then there's the people we fellowship with, we do life with. But I just wonder if there's today an invitation to that to come and lay that down before the living God and maybe go home and say, who am I ringing? Who am I speaking to? Who am I gonna get prayed for with? So as we sing this last song, I wanna invite us to respond, not just to sit there and sing another song, have a coffee and go home, but to respond, to deeply respond, to stand up, to walk down here and to worship the Lord and thank Him for His mercy, thank Him for His goodness and just recommit our lives to walking in the light. And if you wanna kneel, kneel. If you wanna stand, stand. If you wanna sit, sit. If you wanna lie, lie. Whatever you wanna do. And if you want prayer, we have leaders, ministry team up here. But if you're a leader or a ministry team person and you need prayer, well then come and get prayer. Let's not let this moment pass us by to walk in the light, to let the light penetrate the darkness. 
that we might truly be free, truly be free. Because as Jesus says, as the Son sets free, they are free indeed. Let's stand, church, we're gonna pray. God, you're so good. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I just pray that as we hold these little candles, Lord, that each one of us would just have that woman in the fetal position at your feet, firmly in our mind's eye. Broken, busted, exposed. The light has come into her darkness. But the deception of the darkness is just that, it's a deception. For she does not find condemnation, she encounters grace. She encounters mercy in her time of need because that's what the light does. May your truth permeate our souls. May we be a people who walk in the light, free, truly free from the darkness which seeks to enclose and entrap us. Free. We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So come, worship. If you want prayer, come get prayer. Let's respond to God. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, You can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.